Anyway, this morning I was, thought we'd approach the teaching from a little bit different angle. That being that, as we know and we're going to see in this study this morning, the entire human race, this has to do with why Jesus came. The entire human race lives under the curse of sin. We all know that, right? So, question, if you were God, and you're not, and I'm not, I'm not even Chevy Chase for that matter, um, that'll take you back a ways. If you were God and you wanted to free mankind from the curse, which he did want to do, and which he has done, but how, who would you send? Gabriel? Well, Gabriel did bring some messages regarding the birth of Christ. Would you send Michael, one of the other great angels of heaven? Perhaps as God you could go yourself, but Exodus 33:20, he told God told Moses, "You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live." And Moses was a pretty big deal, wasn't he? Few people in the history of the world as close to God as Moses was, and yet God said, "You cannot see me and live. No one can." So that's a problem for God who is a spirit, the Bible tells us, God the Father, for him to come down to the world to save us. So God says, I know. I'll send a baby to free the human race from the curse. A great Bible commentator by the name of J.I. Packer had this to say. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Think about this. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk Think about that. Even Jesus had to learn how to speak as a human child. Be taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, says Packer, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word this morning, and we do want to thank you in advance as we begin this message that you did send Jesus into this world to break that curse of sin. And now, through his precious blood shed on the cross, that curse has been broken for all who embrace him as Lord and Savior. Lord, please bless this time of study in your word. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we read last night, I'll read it again this morning, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So from our perspective, even though we know have our roots in Judaism, uh, we refer to the Judeo-Christian faith as Gentiles, which most of us are, it begins with a child is born. The Messiah would come as a baby who was born as a member of the human race. And I've heard others explain this, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Prior to the coming of Christ, even those who believed in God viewed him as a very distant, unapproachable entity. If you remember under the Old Testament law, the people had to go through the priests, and the high priest in particular, who would once again, would once a year go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, and offer up sacrifice for the sins of the people. So in sending Jesus into this world, 
born of a virgin, a human child, fully God, fully man. He brought God close to us, identifiable, relatable. What a huge difference. And now, instead of having to go to a priest or a pastor to talk to God, you can talk to God yourself because guess what? If you're born again by the Spirit of God, He lives inside of you. Major difference. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Given. He will be and is God's gift to us. The free gift of salvation. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. He gave His only begotten Son. And it's kind of funny because I just read a quote last night from Benjamin Franklin, and I can't remember to quote it exactly, but it basically was saying that uh, in the next life, our souls will be judged upon our actions in this life, which to me smacked of salvation by works. But we can't be saved by our own good works. They'll never be good enough. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's sight, the Bible says. So a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder and so ultimately, we know that Jesus will rule over this earth. He came the first time as the Prince of Peace, riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. He came to set us free from our sins when he returns, and we'll be returning with him. He's coming to judge this world and establish his kingdom upon this planet. And that's going to be happening very soon. I'm ready. How about you? And his characteristics are described here by Isaiah as follows. First of all, wonderful counselor. And the word wonderful here has the connotation in the original language of supernatural. A supernatural counselor. We can all use one of those, right? Judges 13, 18. The angel of the Lord said to him, and by the way, it's a big A. When you see that in the Old Testament, the V, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. It's called a theophany or a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ prior to his birth. And so here, the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? I love this. Seeing it is wonderful. Don't you love that? I love that. That's one of the many names of Jesus. We talked about two of them last night. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is everyday rubber meets the road name, if you will. Jesus, Yeshua. Hey, Yeshua, how's it going? But he's also Emmanuel, God with us, and he's also his name. In fact, there's an old song. Do you remember this? His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. And guess what? It really is. So this phrase refers to the Messiah as the supernatural counselor. So when all earthly wisdom and human counsel fails, we have a supernatural counselor to help us. In fact, when you think about it that way, wouldn't we go to him first, right, before anybody else? Isaiah 11:2. the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Sounds like an invaluable resource to me. What do you think? So we have wonderful counselor, then we have mighty God. This is undoubtedly a messianic prophecy from Isaiah, and it refers to this child 
who is born, this son who is given as the mighty God. There are those who would try to deny the deity of Christ. And many of the cult groups that claim to be Christian, you can always tell if it's a cult, if it's a false belief system, because they deny the Trinity, they deny the deity of Christ. And here we clearly see, and this is just one of many scriptures, obviously, where this happens. Here he's identified as the mighty God. It's a term that's applied to Yahweh in Deuteronomy 10.17, Isaiah 10.21, Jeremiah 32.18. And it predicts the ultimate victory of the Messiah over evil, the mighty God. There's another old song I just thought of. What a mighty God we serve. Remember that one? Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. So as a man, Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. We know that. As the mighty God, he will return to the earth to rule over it with a rod of iron. The next thing we see about his characteristics, he's the everlasting Father. And that literally means Father of eternity. The everlasting Father, the Father of eternity. The Messiah is eternally a Father to his people, guarding, supplying, and caring for our needs. Fourthly, he's the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the very source of peace for all mankind. And boy, don't we need that desperately in these days we're living in. More than ever, perhaps. I keep thinking over and over again as I see all the articles and reports of what they're now calling sudden, unexplained death syndrome. Have you heard about that? I mean, people are just dropping like flies. I think we know what one of the reasons is. It has to do with a needle. But you know, the Bible also says that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming. Now, everybody kind of likes to try and put up a good front, put on a good face. Although the statistics tell us that particularly the younger generation are more and more depressed, more and more despondent, more and more of them are on some kind of a mind-altering drug to try to help them to cope. The suicide rate among young people is sky high. It's at an all-time high. But overall, people try to you know, put on a good face, put on a good front. But deep down inside, we know that the vast numbers of the populace are struggling with anxiety, fear, depression, worry. And the Bible predicted that this would happen. What's the answer? The Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the very source of peace for all mankind. His peace as an eternal peace which transcends all situations and circumstances. And yet, sadly, we see many believers struggling with these same issues. The anxiety, the depression, and so forth. That tells me that God's people are not drawing near to Him as much as they should be. They're not seeking him out as much as they should be. They're allowing themselves to be overwhelmed and overcome by the things of this world. And that's not what God intended. Philippians 4, 7. I should have put 4, 6 in here too because in 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing. And that word anxious is directly tied to the word anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. Don't allow anxiety to creep into your heart and mind, but bring everything to God 
in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I should have stuck that in here because that's the precursor to the next part. And if you do that, if you allow yourself not to be anxious for anything, but you're to bring everything to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God gives us a very, I'm not a big formula guy, you know, three steps to this, five steps to that. But there are, I believe, in the Bible, some very wonderful little formulas you can find as you study through his word. This is one of the best. What's the process? What's the sequence? One, be anxious for nothing. So that tells us something, folks, again, which so many people don't realize. Like so many things about our lives here on planet Earth, so much of what we go through comes down to choices. But so many people are convinced they don't have a choice. How many people do you know that go through life living like a victim? Victim of circumstances, right? Everybody and everything is against me. I can't win. But it's a mental state. It's a mental condition. The Bible says we're to have the mind of Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a mindset. We need to determine and decide, you know what? I am not going to allow myself to be anxious. And you know what I like to say? God empowers right choices. You might think, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. Guess what? You're absolutely right. You don't have the strength, but he does. And he lives inside of you. Okay? So you start not by looking at your circumstances. You start by determining in your own heart and mind, by making the choice, I'm going to obey God's word. God's word says don't be anxious for anything. Now, God, I'm trusting you to give me the strength to follow through on that. And he promises, if we do that, that the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. By the way, there's good news. One day, the whole world is going to experience, like in my song, Baby Boy, the whole world will know your grace. Isaiah 2.4, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This has been a heart's cry of people for millennia, but it will not become a reality until Jesus comes back. But that time is coming, folks. More and more as I look around me every day, I am more and more convinced, not that I wasn't already fully convinced, that we are in the very last days. But you know what? The last days of this present generation is just the beginning of a whole new world. And once again, Satan tried to co-op it by coming up with the New Age movement. The real New Age is the one that Jesus is going to bring to this world. An age of peace and prosperity. No more war. No more hunger. A perfect world. Showing this world that something man has tried to achieve for thousands of years is impossible without God in the equation. It's a wonderful story, the birth of this child, the Son of God, but it's, it's also sad because we know that the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, came into this world to die 
a horrible death that he did not deserve, but it begs the question, why? And it is the answer is because of the curse. All the way back to Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this, God gave prophetic warnings to Adam, to Eve, and the serpent because of their sin in the garden. And he warned the serpent, which is Satan, that there was going to be constant warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Notice it's the seed of the woman. Normally it would be the seed of the man. Why the seed of the woman? Because Jesus had no earthly father, right? God was his father. And so the prophecy is, he, the coming Messiah, wow, all the way back in the beginning of human history, it was predicted, it was prophesied, he will bruise your head. Uh, that can, can be pretty fatal when somebody's head gets stomped on, right? And that's what was predicted by God to the serpent, that the Messiah, the coming Savior of the world, would bruise his head. You will bruise his heel, referring to Christ's temporary bruising on the cross, which couldn't keep a God-man down, right? Three days later, he rose from the dead. The curse upon the serpent, Satan, was that he would ultimately be defeated by the offspring of the woman. Genesis 3.16, next verse, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, in pain you shall bring forth children. So ladies, those of you who have had children, given birth, you can blame Eve for all the pain. Okay, it was her fault. Apparently before that it was supposed to have been a piece of cake. <laughs> In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the NIV says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. So the curse upon the woman was extreme pain in childbearing and your desire shall be for your husband now this could mean there's several ideas on what exactly is meant here it may mean the wife would have a deep attraction to her husband which usually fades after time and that could be perhaps to compensate for the sorrow of childbirth it may mean that her desire would be to rule over her husband because the very next statement is he will rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, when God created man and woman, he basically created them to be the king and queen of the earth. He created them to rule and reign side by side as co-regents over his awesome, amazing creation. But the fall put a wrench in the works. The tendency would be for Eve to blame Adam for the intense pain of childbirth. And we see that even today. It's, we often see that depicted in movies, usually a comedy, but where the wife is laying there in labor, straining, much pain, telling the husband things like, I hate you for doing this to me. Don't touch me. <laughs> and so that would perhaps could result in a lack of desire for intimacy because of that pain. But in order for the Messiah to come, it was imperative for women to keep having babies. So, and in addition 
blaming him for not protecting her from the serpent's deception. And there's a strong argument for that. Adam was supposed to be watching over his wife, protecting her. He allowed her to fall into that deception. So now she would want to call the shots. And that's something we see even on into today, that constant struggle between men and women. But God says no. And this begins, it began that eternal struggle for dominance. As opposed to working together side by side, the great challenge put upon the human race because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Verse 17, Then Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And so Adam's curse was instead of having an easy lifestyle in the garden there, like kind of like permanent retirement, the curse upon the man is that he is to be condemned to exhausting labor in order to make a living because of a curse on the ground. Once he was there in that shady garden, pruning, enjoying, now toiling in the hot fields. You know, it was uh, fruits, nuts, and berries, and avocados versus wheat, barley, corn, weeds, and thistles. So even as everyone, each one, Adam, Eve, and the serpent had their part to play in the fall, they each had their curse to deal with. Genesis 3.18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. These thorns and thistles remind us, interestingly, again, of Christ's crown of thorns. Genesis 3.19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Again, we read here of the sweat of his brow. We're reminded of Jesus, Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in agony, he prayed most earnestly there in the Garden of Eden prior to his crucifixion. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And there are some medical experts as well as Bible commentators who believe that literally it was blood. I've read a medical analysis where they have at least speculated that under intense pressure, those small capillaries in the forehead can burst, producing drops of blood. But whether it was actually blood or just like blood, Jesus was under intense pressure there. And even in this early curse of man, we see these little glimpses of the coming sacrifice of Christ, the, the sweat like drops of blood. And the most... The final and most devastating curse, and that's the one we all deal with, to dust you shall return. The final and most devastating curse was the curse of death because God had created man to live forever. You know that, right? I've talked about that in some of my memorial services where it's amazing how hard people can fight in the face of impending death, terminal illness, and it just seems like they go on and on and struggle and struggle. And you, you, sometimes you pray and wish they would just go home to be with the Lord because it's just so painful to watch them. Not alone what they're going through, right? But we have that built-in, God-given desire to live because we were created to live forever. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 
So what that tells us is, unless you can obey God's law 100%, and by the way, nobody can, right? None of us. Even the best among us cannot do it. Then you're cursed. But here's Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ died the death of a criminal. Crucifixion was the worst form of execution known to man at that time, and it was reserved for the worst of the worst. He was mocked, he was cursed, he was spit upon, he was abused physically beyond imagination. He did become a curse. And ultimately, when he cried out from the cross, darkness came upon the face of the land, he cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That curse came upon him at that point. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, as in crucifixion. But again, the good news, the gospel of Christ is the redemption of childbirth. God's original intention was man and woman as co-regents over his creation. Eve's deception resulted in a God-ordained chain of command as to keep order in the world. Adam and Eve in their fall threw a perfect world into chaos. There had to be a way to deal with that. And so God created an order for things, a chain of command. Does this mean that God did not hold Adam accountable? Certainly not. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man, and it's talking about Adam here, through one man, Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we know from our studies in the scriptures that sin is passed down through the male bloodline. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now ladies, don't go home and use that against your husbands. It's all your fault. Sin came from you. But it is true. God puts the blames squarely and firmly on Adam. But then St. Athanasius said about Jesus, He became what we are that He might make us what He is. Don't you like that? Let me read that again. He became, Jesus, became what we are, human being, that He might make us what He is. I love it. 1 Timothy 2, 14 and 15, Adam was not deceived. What does that mean? Well, he knew full well what he was doing. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, isn't it interesting today with this massive major debate on abortion and so many people, men and women, who almost seem to take joy in it. The killing of an unborn baby. Could that be anything less than satanic and demonic? She will be saved in childbearing. It's a gift from God. It's a supernatural thing, that ability that God's given us to create new life. We're created in His image. He is the author of life. 
He created man out of the dust of the earth. I couldn't do that, could you? But he gave us the ability to reproduce as people created in his image. She will be saved through childbearing, in childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now this, again, this could have several meanings. It could mean that she would be brought safely through childbirth. And again, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. It could also mean saved through the birth of a child, Jesus the Savior. I believe very strongly that is definitely one of the meanings of this verse. Saved through the birth of a child, Jesus the Savior. You do know that they're working on these facilities where they will reproduce children without human participation, right? It's a reality. It's happening. We talked about a couple of important things. One, sin is passed on through the male bloodline. But we also know that that was a one-time deal. But every human being is born with a spirit, which is eternal. Because we're created in the image of God, he is a spirit and he's eternal. But where that spirit spends eternity is up for grabs. If you want your spirit to live forever in the presence of God, then you have to embrace Jesus Christ, his son, as your Lord and Savior. Otherwise, your spirit will continue through eternity in a very bad, dark place, in a place of eternal torment. But think about this. What if they are... This is what they're moving towards. They don't want human beings to reproduce anymore. That's the whole transgender thing. I'm sorry to get in this, into this on a Sunday morning on Christmas Day, but it's so crucial and critical in light of what we're studying about the birth of Christ. Jesus was born into this world. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. What does that even mean today? What's a son? What's a daughter? Right? You see what's happening in our world? The erasure of gender identity. The erasure. And by the way, I don't know if you've been following this one, but it's a result of many factors. But the male sperm count is down to half of what it was 50 years ago. This is ultimately a satanic plot to erase the human race. And yet, the thing that puts us closest to God and the most like God, you could argue, would be this ability that he's given to us to reproduce. Again, the goal being to reproduce more children who will become worshipers of God, who will bring glory to God, who will honor him, The third thing here that related to this passage, she will be saved in childbearing, that a woman's greatest achievement, I hope this no one, again, this flies right in the face of modern thought, and what many people in the world today believe. But this is definitely a possible interpretation. A woman's greatest achievement is found in her devotion to her divinely ordained role to help her husband bear children and to follow a faithful, chaste way of life. Many today have cast aspersions on 
motherhood, on childbearing, it's a sad thing. Ladies, of the two genders, which there really are two, did you know that? Your gender, ladies, is the only one that can give birth prior to what some idiots are saying today. Have you seen some of this? They're claiming men can get pregnant? Again, what happens when a world turns its back on God? That world goes insane. And that's exactly what you're witnessing. But ladies, it's not a bad thing. You're not a bad person if you get pregnant and have a child. It's the most glorious, wonderful thing that God has ever given to the human race. Through pain and childbearing, even though pain and childbearing is a curse from the fall, God has honored the feminine gender by allowing them to be the sole human participants in the miraculous birth of Christ. Think about it. That one birth in particular, no human man was involved. And the pain is yet another reminder of the sufferings of Christ. We've already seen in Romans 5.12 how sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Therefore, no human male could be involved in the process. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to close it out with uh, Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I want to close it out with a passage from Revelation Chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is not just imagery, this is real. We're going to see this one day. Down the middle of the great street of the city, the new Jerusalem, where we will live forever with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops. There was one of those in the garden, remember? God says, we've got to get them out here because if they eat from the tree of life after having eaten from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, the tr the tr <laughs> then there'll be a big problem because they will live for eternity in sin. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. There it is. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. Remember before we couldn't see His face, right? But in our eternal, immortal, imperishable, glorified bodies, we'll be able to see God face to face. How amazing is that? They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. The Bible tells us God dwells in unapproachable light. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The curse, folks, has been broken by the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for delivering us from the curse it was brought upon us by our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Lord, we certainly can't point the finger at them because we've all sinned and come short of your glory, but they did kind of get the ball rolling. 
Anyway, we thank you, God, that you had a plan right from the very beginning. You were not going to allow the human race to go down the tubes. But at the same time, Father, we recognize you've given every human being a choice. We can choose to know you, to love you, to serve you, to follow you, and live forever, or we can choose to go our own way and die forever. Lord, we know that that will be an eternal state of consciousness, but it will not be life. It will not be peace. It will not be paradise. It will be quite the opposite. So, Father, we pray this morning. Lord, if there's even one person here this morning that has not received Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would do so this very morning and receive the greatest gift ever given to man. Lord, we pray for our loved ones, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our relatives, spouses, children, grandchildren, parents, that you would draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray that you'd use this day, as we, many of us do gather with family and friends, to shine your light brightly in us and through us. And we pray that those who are lost and in the dark would come into the light and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that you'd help us today to keep you at the forefront. You are the reason for the season. Help us to not forget that. We pray for, for health and strength, safe travel, and for a blessed Christmas day. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.